0: Visit RobertHalf.com today.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome to Keigo Lasso. James Bench in the house, Jonathan Johnson in the house, LME here as we discuss a massive game in the Premier League as Man City and Liverpool face each other. Perhaps not uh, one of many coming up in the season, but in the league, in the Premier League, this is the one to watch to see what will happen as they race for the coveted title. We'll also discuss Everton against Manchester United. And, of course, Eric ten Hug Is this getting closer uh, sooner rather than later? The relegation dogfight. We'll talk a little bit about Serie A, the UEFA reforms, and so much more. Kegolaso a weekend preview. Jonathan Johnson, James Benjamin begins right now. Hey everybody, welcome to Que Golazo, youtube.com forward slash Que We're getting closer to 11,000 subscribers. Thank you so much. Keep on sharing, spread the word, like, and subscribe. Kegolasso pod on Twitter. Let's get going, everybody. A huge game in the Premier League as Man City and Liverpool face each other. First of all, James Bench, how are you, sir?
2: I'm great. Um. Yeah, it's been a hectic few days and we've got uh, an even more significant uh, game ahead of us, even after those champions league quarterfinals. So, uh, I'm absolutely buzzing for this one. I think maybe because, you know, I'm a bit of a neutral in it as well. Like it, I've not been this excited for a game in months, years. It's going to be great.
1: Yeah, I agree as a neutral, it's really exciting. Actually, uh, you, you release that pressure and you just watch and enjoy Jonathan Johnson. How's it going, sir?
3: Hey there, guys. Great to be back on with you. Knowing well, thanks. Can't say I'm as uh, as buzzing as, uh, as James Benj is. Obviously, this season uh, a little bit quieter over here in Paris now, but uh, no, really enjoyed the, the Champions League games so far this week. Looking forward to the Europa League uh, games as well coming up uh, after we've recorded and uh, uh, looking forward to, to looking ahead to this one with you guys this weekend.
1: Absolutely. And if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, the Games of Europa should probably already be out listening and podcast on Friday as well. But yeah, absolutely. Buzzing for some great European action this week. Liverpool defeated Benfica, uh, you know, pretty resoundedly just took care of business. And Man City just about got that win against Atletico de Madrid. Let's talk about the Premier League. Of course, uh, the Premier League table is tight 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 and I really didn't think this was going to be a conversation heading into it but Manchester City lead the table with 73 points Liverpool with 72 it's really really close and actually Liverpool have a better goal differential as well so even a draw could be significant Uh, let's begin James Bench with the latest news uh, regarding both sides I guess specifically even more so Uh, Liverpool but let's talk about the squads and how they're looking in as they as they look ahead to this great game on Sunday
2: yeah I mean to the best of my knowledge as we record this now we're talking about near full strength squads where you know the only absentees are are a bit longer term so Ruben Diaz in, in City's case and obviously that is a that is a big blow but that's maybe mitigated by the fact that Kyle Walker will come back in having not played in midweek and I think we saw in midweek just how many options Pep Guardiola has for this this game and any game ahead, I'm sure he wasn't deliberately holding back Phil Foden and bringing back uh holding back Jack Grealish just for this game, but you know they they will come in as completely fresh legs, fresh eyes. And I mean, it's almost similar with, with Liverpool as well. You have to say, you know, Diego Jota didn't start uh out in Lisbon, nor did Roberto Firmino. There's so many options for both these teams and, and how they set up. Um, it, it is in many ways, it's you know the ideal way of moment to play this game because it's, you know, the tension's there, but it maybe isn't going to suffocate the contest. Um, There's still opportunities for other teams to catch up if they drop points, but equally, you kind of look at it and you look at the run of form that that both these two teams are on, and we should say City as well. There's been a lot of conversations about, oh, they had a 14-point lead, and I was kind of looking back, I was like, when did they have this 14-point lead? It's true that they did, but it was for about, it was for a few hours on January the 1st, uh, before Liverpool played the next day, and it was because they played two games more. So, City have like set real top quality title winning pace. It's just the pace that Liverpool are on right now is relentless, remorseless, winning every single game. So it feels massive. There will be opportunities, I suspect, to make up points. Um, but equally, you know, this this could be the moment where the season changes and actually the other two teams could just go and win every single game after this. So who knows?
3: Yeah, I'm glad that uh, James mentioned the uh, the games in hand that Liverpool had because I feel like every time we've been speaking about the Premier League uh, on the on the last couple of podcasts, certainly sort of around about the beginning of the year, we were talking about those games in hand and how Liverpool would have the opportunity to close the gap at some point. It's just that they would have to stay motivated while they saw City so far ahead of them, uh, you know. And I think you know they've done the, the 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 task that was put in front of them, and now they come into this with almost a little bit more motivation than City. I mean, obviously for City, this is the chance to perhaps knock Liverpool back a little bit after they've built up so much momentum. But for Liverpool also at the same time, the the chance to finally leapfrog them uh, after coming from fairly far back with those games in hand. Uh, I'm actually curious to know what what James makes of the Mo Salah situation because I know LME grilled me about it midweek after the Champions League win over Benfica but i'm curious to know what what, what james meant, makes of it and whether Salah you know could be starting this one on the bench given that many people expected him to actually start in lisbon as a substitute no
2: i d- i don't really see that i think it, for one he has had a spectacular record against manchester city which we saw last time out where he scored quite possibly two of the best goals of the whole season certainly of, of his whole season um in that 2-2 draw uh he is a he's a very good fit and I mean, it, it it just speaks to the standards he is setting that that we have these conversations about whether he's not kind of at the peak of his powers. And yeah, yeah, he's not at the peak of his powers, but that is a that is a level that few other forwards can reach. You know, I I think it's always better with players like Salah when they're having a bit of a wobble to just sort of assume it is only that. Um, equally, you know, the, the 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 one thing you'd say is. Is kind of the competition for those other two slots is so intense that if that's Salah does right. struggle yeah. early on, you know, there's no reason to not take him off if he's not having a great game. You know, I would I would say that Sadio Mane has been playing well enough to merit a start. Diogo Jota, we know what he can do as a fantastic poacher. And I think that's what you need against the City defence that without Diaz might wobble a little bit. But but no, I think, I think Salah has to start. I think it's Salah, Jota and... A and other. I think it could be any of the three, and I think you can make an argument for any of the three. But for the biggest game of the season, you need your best player, and you just, you know, even if he's even if you don't think he's going to be 100%, 90% Mo Salah is actually better than even any of other (laughs) Liverpool's other forwards.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely right. But I think uh, that, you know, we're not, and listen, the reason why JJ and I were talking about it midweek, and I think it's definitely worth asking James Bench once again, is because. Of course, Mohamed Salah. I mean, it's almost insane to think, oh my God, he he has to start against Man City. But the statistics, at least from an offensive standpoint, prove you know that there is an argument to be made in conjunction with what you just said, James Bench. It's not just like that Salah hasn't scored a non-penalty goal uh, since mid-February, but it's also because you got Diogo Jota killing it. Luis Diaz, fantastic on the wing. Don't forget about Sadio Mane, of course. I'm wondering if maybe the contractual situation between him and the club is, is, is weighing on him, losing Africa Cup of Nations, and on top of that, not making it to the World Cup. Is it just too much? Does Jurgen Klopp maybe think, you know what? Let's just like, Mo, I know that everybody expects you in this game. Let's wait till like, you know, 30 minutes to go, you know, in the game, and then let's let's unleash you. Maybe that's just a certain sense of motivation for, for Mohamed Salah. To say himself, are you going to bench me? All right. Start me in the 70th minute and see why you made the biggest mistake. So I am I guess it's a devil's advocate argument, Jonathan Johnson. Uh, but I, I agree. I think Salah will start. I'm just thinking, should it be actually, you know, Diogo Jota, uh, Sadio Mane and Firmino to start it all up and then see how things develop in the second? Yeah, I
3: mean, this is uh, you know just sort of the the extent to which uh, you know Jurgen Klopp really now is is spoilt for choice in terms of the talent that he has in that attacking lineup because I think the the Luis Diaz as well uh, you know made a fantastic case for him uh, to be to be included in midweek uh, with his Champions League performance. Uh, assist, but yeah. uh, you know I think that uh, the the bench is also right. You know you can't just always look at you know the the, the current form. You know it's it's well documented. Salah hasn't scored from open play. Since mid-February, you know when you when you're a player of Salah's calibre, and you have that sort of history in the in the fixture, you know I think Klopp would be right, uh, you know to I mean I wouldn't really even call it a gamble. I think he'd be right to back Salah uh, and start him in this one and uh, and, and hope that he comes good. Uh, to be honest, it, it just takes me back to what we were saying in midweek, where I was almost more surprised that he didn't take the opportunity to perhaps. Give Salah a rest, bring him on around the hour mark because I yeah. think, with all due respect to Benfica, Liverpool probably could have got that job done without Salah on the pitch. Uh, you know, given the way that some of the other uh, attacking talents per- performed, but uh, it's it's interesting as well, obviously for for me from a, a Parisian perspective that these rumours about Kylian Mbappe have now resurfaced linking it with Liverpool. It's happened in the past. Uh, and now, since French claims that there's another uh, club that's come in and, and looked at him, potentially interested in in it's, getting him as a free agent this it's, it's, nonsense.
2: Like... It, it, it's <laughs> nonsense. It's it, this is something that's been sort of puffed up by uh, media outlets that know that Liverpool drive clicks and conversations. This it, it, it's just, and you know, you see what Klopp said about Harland. This isn't this isn't their... This isn't their approach. This isn't how they want to do business. They want to sign Salah to a new contract. It's, it's, it's the Mbappe stuff. I live for this being cut if cut out by Des, our producer. If I'm wrong in the summer, but it's it's completely against everything that Liverpool want to do. Uh, and there's never been any credible links with him at all. It's, it's
1: I mean it. Mbappe with a Scouse accent that would be amazing. <laughs> I love that. Uh, but yes, uh, the clear priority is the Mohamed Salah contract. And by the way, Sadio Mane is. Uh, Extension as well is not too far away. Let's just quickly talk about Man City for a second. They've just lost one of their last 12 Premier League home matches against Liverpool, uh, One seven, drawn four, uh, going down 4-1 in Jurgen Klopp's first visit to the Etihad in competition back in uh, November 2015. We did discuss about, you know, uh, JJ and Bench did mention it, how like around mid-January we were like, well, this is over, isn't it? Man City have it. And, you know, two significant things happened. I believe it was a draw against Southampton. And then obviously the loss to Tottenham that really just like switched the lights on everybody because Liverpool just kept kept going. So bench, let's just focus on City for a second. They're at home. They're feeling good, I guess. I don't know how much of a battle scar situation they'll have after that. Atleti victory. What do you expect from Man City in this starting lineup against Liverpool?
2: Yeah, Jack Grealish might have a few battle scars after Louis. he was resolutely. Well,
1: Correa, is more of a Louis Vuitton guy. I, I think exactly. he, didn't, he didn't appreciate yeah. the Gucci contract. Yeah,
2: exactly. An Yves Saint Laurent ultras across the <laughs> uh, across the Atletico Madrid team. I mean, yeah, it's is it's funny what you what you say, Luis, because you know you've just kind of listed off the the results there, and then there were the the two drop points against Crystal Palace, which you one. know yeah. pretty much every top team is. Um, Every every top team and Arsenal are dropping points against Crystal Palace at the moment. So, you know, I, I think almost that that needs to be seen in a different light. As well, they are still hugely effective. It is a little bit that there is still that sense that there is a little, a way you can do some damage to City, which we saw Atleti nearly do. We saw what Tottenham did, which was draw the press and somehow beat the press. Now that is so much easier said than done but you know Tottenham did the the thing really well of passing the ball keeping control of possession and then hitting it quick high up the pitch you know whether that's going to be to a Jota or a Salah or Firmino I think it could be a good game for Firmino this one and then once you break through that line this City team can be vulnerable because they are going to commit numbers forward because that's how they create all their chances and win most of their games you know this is the the risk or reward the same as Liverpool's high line which can sometimes look kamikaze high but it gets an awful lot of players offside it is still very very looks very comfortable and very composed I think Guardiola is at the stage and I wrote about this in my pre-match column where he's just in a routine he's not varying that much you know in terms of the tactics we saw that against Atletico it was basically a standard 4-3-3 but Bernardo was a false nine rather than a a true number nine it and I think he will do kind of something similar and, and just change the personnel uh at the weekends. So they're on a routine. It's not kind of pretty and it's not as effective as it has been at their peak, but they're hard to score against and they're, they're creating a lot of chances. So, and I thought they did very well to break down a, a pretty obdurate Atletico team. So best
1: defensive record in the premier league, 18 goals conceded and only that's uh, two less than Liverpool. So yeah. Yeah.
2: It's hard to get that excited about just sort of continual excellence um, without sort of, as many moments as they've been in the past, but like, you know, I, I don't think they're going to shoot themselves in the foot. It may, they may may lose. We don't know, but I don't think they'll, they'll ruin the game for themselves.
3: Yeah. I think for me, uh, you know, this one for city it's just such a great opportunity for them to give themselves that little bit of breathing space. And I mean, I'm sure they're not too worried about that second leg coming up against Atletico Madrid, uh, you know, but I think, You know, it might start to put a little bit more pressure on uh, Guardiola in the Champions League, uh, you know, if they were suddenly knocked off of top spot by this Liverpool side. You know, it's a real chance for them to stem uh, that momentum that that Klopp's men are enjoying. Uh, And, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily deal a fatal uh, blow in terms of uh, title hopes, but it would be a big step Uh, You know, towards uh, retaining the title. So, you know, we'll see if it if if it plays out like that. I was also interested to see that Guardiola's uh, been linked in the press. Uh, with the Brazil national team job after the World Cup, I mean, I'm 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 not throwing out there all of these, uh,
1: uh, you know, the most spurious. Transfer please rumors let that I happen. Please <laughs> let that happen. But I want he can't listen. If he thinks he's going to wear a turtleneck in Barranquilla, forget about it. If you think you can uh, press the ball in the 70th minute in La Paz, forget it. Please, please get this job. Uh, two minutes of CONMEBOL drama and he's out of there. <laughs> please make this happen please <laughs> it's be quite crazy. funny though because obviously
2: i don't think he could manage manage the spanish national team his you know deep catalan roots i'm not sure how comfortable he would fit and he's managed yeah. the catalan national team
1: yeah yeah i can we have him at england uh, i just won south american drama just the idea of him uh in the 75th minute in bolivia telling uh you know Neymar Jr. to press, and Neymar's looking at him, going, uh, "You do realize how high we are above altitude, right?" I can't I, calm down. I,
2: I mean, I'm, I'm thinking this: the international football clearly needs to be the next great canvas for the Mourinho-Guardiola drama. So I agree.
1: Mourinho Pep, to take over Portugal, and no, uh, I want, I want. <laughs> that are you on England?
2: <laughs> no, I want Mourinho to take over Brazil, and oh then Pep gets God. Argentina.
1: I. Love that, James Bench. Let's yeah. make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 absolute pressers after the games would be absolutely fantastic. There'll be riots everywhere. I the mean, Carolina, Marinius, you'd
3: have to have a friendly every month. I mean, listen, 80%. Demand, yeah. so, so, suddenly those calls for a Biennial World Cup will come back, uh, you know, a hundredfold.
1: is 80% Peruvian anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Like, But it would be absolutely hilarious. I love it. I love it. Well done on bringing that up. Uh, Jonathan Johnson. All right, well, let's finish up. It would be remiss not to mention, by the way, once again, um, you know, this article from Der Spiegel regarding, uh, you know, what's going on in, within the investigation on Man City, a, a few key notes here, um, you know, underage players were allegedly pressured to sign contracts with Man City through monetary payments. uh, uh club sponsors in Abu Dhabi are suspected of having provided only a portion of their payments to the club themselves. Uh, with the majority reportedly, you know, coming from Sheikh Mansour himself. Roberto Mancini, who was then the manager at the time, uh, you know, uh, who was there from 2009 to 2013, thought to have received a significant portion of his compensation secretly by way of, and I quote, fictitious consultancy contract. There's a lot going on here. It's been going on for three years. Thoughts on this? Uh, JJ, back to you. Like I said, you know, it's not new, right, these news, but it's interesting that they're resurfacing once again.
3: No, it's not new. It's, you know, something that's been chewed over for, for quite a while. And I don't imagine that these will be the final updates either. Uh, you know, but I mean, it, it is interesting in a way, but also when you're looking at some of this, it's, you know, sort of so far now in the past, uh, it's I mean, it's it's been perhaps not as incendiary as it would have been, say, sort of like five five years ago or so. Uh, You know, I don't think anyone will be really too shocked, uh, you know, by some of those revelations, uh, you know, especially given sort of what we've seen uh, in modern football over the last 12 to 18 months. But, you know, also at the same time, uh, you know, this is something that could still have, you know, sort of real life uh, consequences, so to speak, given that the investigation is still supposedly ongoing.
2: I I think in the end, the investigations, they will go nowhere. We saw this when UEFA tried to throw Man City out of the Champions League. Man City will lawyer them in CAS and they will get what they want. But, um, you know, we have to remember that this this hasn't changed. Right now, Man City have the highest commercial revenue of any club in in world football. And I'm sorry, but sponsors are not rushing to Man City externally. It's all coming from the UAE. You know, this isn't going to change. I think that's the really dispiriting part about this because it should. It's not fair. But it's, nothing's going to happen, sadly.
1: Yeah, well, let's uh, move on. Let's talk about uh, the other side of Manchester as they travel to Everton, by the way, who midweek uh, they lost in uh, eccentric fashion to Burnley. And it is looking interesting for Evertonians as they look to stay in the Premier League. But uh, there's a relegation fight here from Frank Lampard. Uh, and Sean Dyke, by the way, after that game on Wednesday and uh, the six-pointer, he said, I said at halftime, I'm not sure Everton know how to win a game, lads. And I think, Sean, you might be correct. Lampard continues to search for his first away victory with the club. Uh, But, you know, they face a Manchester United side who have proven to be inconsistent. James Bencher, thoughts on this game?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's curious because these are the games that you want when you're in the relegation dogfight, aren't they? Teams that are already mentally on the beach. And I think if we know anything about this Man United squad, they are not going to re- react to the news that Eric Ten Hag is, is going to be appointed their new manager by really knuckling down because they've never knuckled down before. Um, so this could be a better game for Everton than we think, although their they're run-in is hellacious. There's some really tough games there. They ju- Sean Dice was right. They just look like a team that not only do they know how to win, they don't really know how to play football. It's mm. reliant on Anthony Gordon, you know, getting the ball to the front two. Calvert-Lewin looks completely lost. Richarlison, he scored some penalties, but did he do a huge amount else? And he really saw the highlights. It's it's looking tough. And I think you have to say they're favourites to go down right now. And this is a big game to turn it around. If they can get some points, maybe we, we change the view. But right now, Everton are slipping and... <laughs> they need to sack frank lampard now
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know what i don't uh, i don't i don't disagree with that it's very very grim reading when you look at uh, everton's record since lampard came in i don't think that that many of us uh, are too shocked by by the way things have gone but also, at the same time, uh, you know, I think something you have to bear in mind, uh, you know, when you get to this stage of the season, you know, for, for years, you've, you've had clubs where people say like, oh, they're too big to go down when there's sort of the first sniff of potential relegation battle issues. And then suddenly when a club like Everton gets dragged into it, you realize that, you know, there's absolutely no way that they're not. Uh, you know, uh, so, you know, too good to to go down. They are absolutely uh, relegation fodder in their current form. And when you have that sort of pressure, uh, you know, that negativity building up in the dressing room, as they obviously have, you know, you need an unexpected result to snap you out of it. And I can only see, you know, perhaps an unexpected win over, uh, you know, sort of a club of Manchester United stature as the the, the only possible thing that could potentially spark them back into life. But I feel like we've already spoken about Everton picking up, you know, a couple of maybe unexpected results, uh, you know, in recent weeks, and they've still managed to throw it away the match afterwards. So I'm not convinced that this is something that they're going to be able to to remedy unless, uh, you know, they can perhaps bring somebody else in who will get an immediate reaction uh, better than uh, the one that Frank Lampard has gotten since he's been appointed. Just,
2: uh, just to add on this this Everton point, and uh, I know that our editor Mike Goodman may well be listening, so I do want to be really doom and gloom about this. You know, going back to what JJ was saying about these teams being too good to go down. When you kind of look at that squad, and you're looking at it with the mindset of I'm going to be a an Aston Villa or a Tottenham, or a team that's going to look to pick up the good pieces from Everton when they when they do get relegated. Who are you taking beyond Richarlison and, and Calvert-Lewin and, and maybe a few flyers? And how many of the players that you wouldn't touch with a barge pole are Everton paying six figures a week for? You know, a, a Decore, an ageing Alan who is not the player he was. Uh, we were joking about this last night, about it would be fun for Everton fans that they get to win some games in the Championship. I'm sure they'll win more than they are winning in the Premier League right now but also new stadium to pay for huge wage bill the biggest losses in the premier league over the last 3 years it has to be said if they go down this is this could be a a quick return it could be a derby or you know it could be a really tough few years for for everton and yeah and it, this
1: lampard is why it goes now, yeah it's beyond and to your point it, this is not just about frank lampard it's the lack of uh, management and leadership that this club has had. The only player that I can think of when you are mentioning Anthony Gordon is a great talent, but, you know, it's about it. Nobody's too big to go down. Take it from two Villa fans who are right now. Like, anybody can go down, especially if you're playing like that. Good question from Des Norris. Should Pickford forget about the World Cup in this way of, you know, uh, a certain Arsenal goalkeeper is knocking on the door, James Bench? Um, I mean, he
2: he would have to go and get Premier League football, wouldn't he? I don't know. And, you know, I'm not sure how many Premier League teams would be that desperate to have him, but it's a strange one because... I think if he's playing regularly, he'll start at the World Cup because because Gareth Sake likes him and he's never let England down. But that's what it would kind of come down to. And you will have quite a few players. I mean, you know, qu- quite a few. Richarlison will be thinking exactly the same. It's not just, you know, it's a World Cup in six months' time and he's got a chance at the Brazil squad. He'll be like, get me out of here right now.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, let's quickly talk about uh, Eric Ten Hag for a second as a reporter closing in on him uh, becoming the next manager of Manchester United. Obviously, we know the pedigree that he has given uh, within uh, the Netherlands. He was part actually of Pep Guardiola's, uh, you know, Bayern Munich. He he managed the reserves there as well. Like he's got a lot to offer. But this laundry list, Jonathan Johnson, Manchester United needs. It's beyond tactics, beyond strategy. There's so much going on that United leaves. Do you think Erik Ten Hag is the right man for the job? Does Erik Ten Hag want this? It, clearly, he does. But you know, what do you make of this appointment? That surely. Uh, sooner rather than later is going to happen.
3: Yeah, it's uh, a huge task that awaits him uh, at Old Trafford. Uh, I think so much of it is going to depend on whether the players buy into, uh, you know, what he's going to try to implement. And obviously a lot of that will be uh, you know, decided by how much respect uh, Ten Hag is going to garner in that dressing room. Uh, you'd like to think uh, that they'd recognise all of the achievements that he's managed to 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 do with with Ajax over the last couple of years. There's no guarantee though, uh, and also. It's not really just about the players uh, and Tin Haag coming in as a manager. It's about what United are pre- prepared to do and change at the top of the club uh, that's really going to send them off in a new direction. And are they going to make those changes that are, that, that are necessary for them to move on, to take things back to uh, you know, focusing on the football once again? I'm not convinced. Louis van Gaal wasn't convinced either when he gave his opinion uh, a couple of weeks ago where he said... I'd rather see Ten Hag joining a football focused club as opposed to a business focused club. Uh you know and I think as well Ralph Ranick's comments which basically suggest that he's being cut out of all sort of consultation with regards to the potential next appointment of a, of a manager suggests that you know, we were kind of fooled into thinking there might be some sort of strategy midway through the season Uh, and actually United are just making it up as they go along and Ten Hag is perhaps, uh, you know, sort of flavour of the week at this moment in time Uh, and, you know, he'll be left to his own devices as soon as he arrives.
2: uh, There's a lot I agree with there and, you know, JJ hits the the nail on the head when he says that you know, uh, Ten Hag isn't joining a football club. He's joining a multi multimedia operation that happens to play football on the side.
3: And 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 I know all about that.
2: Indeed. (laughs) The one thing I would say is, and you know, this goes back to when they sat to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the first, first first name I heard, and we we reported this at the time was that they wanted to talk to Eric Ten Hag at the time. And and Ten Hag basically indicated, I'm not leaving mid season. So this isn't, you know, this isn't something they've picked up on a whim, and it was, you know, they've spent a long time narrowing it down to Pochettino and, and Ten Hag. The, the guy, as we all know, the guy's a great coach. You can do a lot with, kind of, arguably a lesser standard of players as good as they are at Ajax, and I think the time has kind of come to move on. He is, for me, he's the best coach they will have appointed since Sir Alex Ferguson left. In terms of modern view of how football should be played, Mourinho, his time had passed. Van Hal a little bit too esoteric at the wrong moment, and then you know Moyes and and Rania and are just not really in the conversation. It's the right choice. I mean, but but as as JJ says, it's about kind of everything else needs to be right. I wouldn't worry too much about Ranick. just do, you know, people say, Oh, he's only doing six days, six, six days a month work as a consultant. Well, it's like, well, yeah, that, that's what consultants do. They never turn up and you pay him loads of money. Nice work if you can get it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I need to get on board on some of this <laughs> stuff, but, but you know, this is, it, it's a good step. Um, and you know, if you start surrounding him by, with people that know the league, Steve McLaren, um, people that know the club, it, it's all okay. I, you know JJ's right, they need to convince the world that they can get out of their own way. But this is a manager, the right manager to a point.
1: Yeah, I think essentially it's 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 rather it's United the right club for Ten Hag, as opposed to is Ten Hag the right manager for, mm. for United. I've always thought that really the, the best man for this job who will won't even touch it with a barple is Sinadine Sedan. I just because there's so much that he has to deal with aside from football, I agree 100 percent James Manch. Ten Hag as a manager. As a tactician, somebody that knows strategy and developing players, may I remind you of Frankie the Young and what he's become? It all started with somebody like Eric ten Hag, as well as Ziek and you know De Ligt, etc. So he can do that with young players, but there's the laundry list is huge, and rightly so. Reportedly, ten Hag's interview was just basically asking United more questions than the other way around. So we're going <laughs> to have to wait and see what happens. But as a tactician, one, one he's last... to be ruined. Yeah, go ahead, JJ.
3: Well, one last thing to add as well is I think. It's a smarter move than Pochettino at this moment in time because going for Ten Hag, uh, you know, but bo- you know, in both cases, uh, you know, on paper you're going to get a very fine uh, manager, uh, you know, somebody who can potentially do wonders with the squad, but. In terms of the compensation, you're almost going to be paying the same price as you would, say, a squad player for Pochettino to get him out of that contract at PSG, whereas at yeah, Ajax, financially the tough. price is a lot more reasonable. I mean, I know at the end of the day, you know, United run as a business; they're not exactly short of money, but it's smarter business, uh, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I believe uh, it's just four million in compensation to Ajax, and like something like twenty-five million uh, to PSG. For Pochettino. And plus, you don't need a, a manager who's down on his luck meeting a club who's down on their luck. I don't think they're going to motivate each other by any means. All right, uh right. We're going to take a break. Uh, James Bench has to bounce out. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, JJ and I will continue the conversation, including, of course, the relegation dogfight in the Premier League, some UEFA uh, regulations that are coming into place and being proposed by Seferin, as well as the remaining
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Giggle, Lasso, weekend review, James Bench left us, Jonathan Johnson, and you're truly here. It's a Villa Faithful podcast now, so take it or leave it, I'm afraid. All right. Let's talk about the relegation dogfight in the Premier League for a second. Jonathan Johnson, we talked about Everton and how difficult it's going to be for them. Uh, but then I'm looking around this uh, these teams, and hopefully this Norris will put, put up the table in a second. But, you know, I guess Newcastle are okay, 31 points. But Everton have two games in hand on Leeds United, who are 16th, and they have 30 points. And then you have Burnley, Watford, Norwich. It's getting interesting. Uh, what say you regarding these clubs right now? And who has the upper hand? Because Burnley and Everton both have two games in hand on Leeds United. It's going to be tricky all the way to the end.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, I still think at this moment in time, the smart money is reckoning that it's going to be sort of three of the bottom four at the moment. I'm not saying that Leeds have done enough just quite yet, uh, you know, but I think it's reasonable to expect that they're going to pick up more points, you know, as this new manager bounce under Jesse Marsh continues. I mean, I think for me, it's really between Burnley and Everton I mean unless Watford you know really get motoring uh late on I can't really see them staying up and I think Burnley just might have sort of that momentum that grit uh you know we we spoke about Sean Dyche earlier and, and sort of the way that you know he he jokingly teased uh you know that that Everton don't know how to win a match they also Everton don't know how to be in a relegation battle uh mm. you know and Burnley have you know they 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 they've so they're the DNA. Made, <laughs> yeah. exactly they've made they've made their premier league existence avoiding the drop sort of against the odds so uh you know for me i think that it's it's going to be one of those two that survives at this moment in time but you know i could be proved wrong but uh i i i struggle to see everton getting out of this and there so they can somehow snap this this negative spiral uh, that they're in and really i expect leeds to to pick up another few points and uh, and get themselves out of there as well
1: yeah, but by the way, um, you know the the schedule is conflicting for for pretty much everybody. Everton have United next, Leicester City, the Merseyside derby, Chelsea, Leicester City again, a dogfight against Watford. This is not going to be easy for Leeds. By the way, after Watford, it also gets interesting: Crystal Palace, Man City, Arsenal, and Chelsea. So you think that maybe Burnley is going to be the beneficiary of that? And if any way. It can happen for Norwich and Watford. It has to happen right now. But I think I agree with you. I think, I think, like I said a while ago, Everton is going to find itself in that bottom three, and it will be, wow, kind of incredible to, to believe after how I guess it all started with, uh, you know, Rafa Benitez, et cetera. All right, well... um, Let's move on here. By the way, everybody, the 2022 Masters is underway and the First Cut Golf Podcast has you covered with round-by-round coverage after every tournament day. Rick Gaiman, Carl Porter, and the First Cut crew are breaking down the odds board every night and bringing you analysis from the grounds of Augusta National. Go join the First Cut Golf Podcast available wherever you're listening to this pod. The First Cut Golf Podcast and some Masters action on CBS Sports, CBS Sports HQ as well. All right, JJ, UEFA, um, Seferin moving around some proposals here, relaxing the financial fair play ruling, of course, uh, regarding how much clubs are going to be able to be in debt. Uh, Clubs won't be allowed to report losses of $65.5 million over three years. Uh, I mean, there's a lot going on here. Uh, Let's first talk about that side of things, uh, the relaxation of FFP. What do you make of it?
3: I mean, I think it was inevitable, uh, you know, given how many issues there have been with FFP <clears throat> over the years. Um, I don't know if, you know, what's being brought in is the way that I would have approached it. But I think uh, it was the only way to get the majority of clubs on board uh, to, to do this. And what I think this is... Uh, You know, as this is kind of part of the the tactic that's been implemented by UEFA over the last twelve months since the attempt at the Super League breakaway, where UEFA have taken the opportunity presented by the by that failure to basically take some of the elements, uh, you know, that that made Super League appealing to a lot of the clubs that signed up for it, drop it into their new sort of proposals either via the reforms, uh, you know, or these new, uh, you know, financial. Limitations, uh, if we can call them that, uh, and you know that way, I think it's going to keep the majority of the clubs happy and ultimately keep the risk uh, as low as possible with regards to to a new potential super league popping up on the horizon in the next sort of five years or so.
1: Yeah. And what about the second part of it, which is from 2024 when they revisit the plans for the Champions League? About two additional spots will be given. For uh, clubs uh, with historical significance, hey JJ, I, I guess we're back in the Champions <laughs> League, huh? Uh, if we just uh, dust off the nineteen eighty-two uh, title.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to, to to wind up friends, uh, you know, with their PSG fans or Arsenal fans, for example. Uh, that or Man, Man City, team, our team, Villa, uh, Man City as well. You know, we have won the European Cup uh, at least once in our history, and uh, I mean. Obviously, uh, you know, the the romantics in us, you know, would love to for there to be some sort of pathway back uh, to the Champions League for, for clubs like Villa, maybe even a forest, uh, as you mentioned before we got recording. But I think realistically, this is a safety net for those clubs who have qualified regularly for the Champions League. So potentially, you know, enter an Arsenal who just miss out, uh, you know, and perhaps get parachuted in, uh, which you know i do, i mean i'm 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 very traditional about my views of what the champions league should be and i just feel that each time changes are made it gets more and more watered down and and is re- and now very far from what it claims to be because it's not been a league of champions for a long long time in fact you're more likely to have uh you know sort of fourth place teams in a lot of european leagues uh, as opposed to champions of some of the countries uh, you know who are rated fairly high up the, in the coefficient rankings. So for me, I think it's it's a little bit of a nonsense, but obviously I won't be complaining if Phil i suddenly get in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's be honest. This is basically UEFA saying to the Super League teams, look, forget about the Super League, but this is kind of how we can help you out a little bit. It's trying to remix... A horrible idea. Of course, the romantic in me would love to get Christian Perslow to show you UEFA. Look, look <laughs> we won it in 1982. You can't say that about Arsenal or City, right? But it, it doesn't work like that. I'm I'm with you. I'm a traditionalist too. The more you change it, the less significant it becomes. And that's a problem. You should be able to reach the Champions League based on merit. That's it. Did you make it? And already there's a leg up for the big teams because of a financial advantage, especially in the Premier League, right? If you are an amazing story like Leicester City, right? Winning the Premier League that time and then going to the champion, that's an amazing thing. And that's what fans want to see. We want to see those storylines. The moment you water it down and bring back the historical, you know, recognition of the past. No, yeah, but, you know, back in the day, reputation wise, they belong here. That's not competition, is. Exactly that competition you make it here because you earned your right in the season previous, not because of what happened five years ago. All right, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the Serie A. Thoughts on the Serie A here? The race talking of the race, by the way, interesting. Three teams in contention, of course Napoli against Fiorentina, Inter Milan against Verona, Torino against AC Milan. It's gonna be very interesting. AC Milan leading the table court, Napoli and Inter. How do you see this one? I mean, we can go very quickly on each match. Uh, Napoli, Fiorentina. How do you see that one? A home win for for the Naples faithful or or, or something different?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I do expect them to to, to win this one. Uh, and I think ultimately they'll benefit from going up against quite a tricky opponent because Fiorentina are a team that can take the game to you. I mean, we know that they've suffered a bit since Vlaovic left. Uh, you know, they've not been the same since the turn of the year, but also at the same time they are still a team who can be quite formidable, quite difficult to to beat on their day. Uh so I think that this is potentially a tricky one for Napoli. Uh you know, quite clearly now, uh, you know, the the title race is sort of breaking away uh with the with those top 3 obviously Inter in in danger of being left behind as well, but for Napoli this is one they really can't uh, afford to lose and they absolutely need to make the most uh of home advantage uh, between now and the end of the season and I think what they really need to do, and I've mentioned this a few times before, is they need to make sure that they dictate the the tempo of the game. Because if not, yeah. you know, this Fiorentina side still has the quality to, if not beat them away from home, then at least uh, hold them to a draw.
1: So what's trickier then? Because I got a little bit disjointed by the fact that Milan got a stalemate against Bologna and now they face... Torino away from home, that's 2.45 Eastern. Don't forget, you can watch these games on Paramount+. Plus, and then Inter at home to Verona, that should be a win for Inter, Jonathan Johnson, right?
3: Yeah, I'd I'd be fancying Inter over Verona there. And AC, I mean, I, I do still think that they'll have too much for a team like Torino. Torino, kind of one of those teams that flatter to deceive a bit, uh, you know, yeah. when I've been checking out their results so far this season. They have some quality that could perhaps put them a bit higher up in the table, but they rarely, uh, you know, match that with consistency. I mean, I guess that in many ways makes them potentially a dangerous opponent for for Milan to come up against, especially uh, given that they already, uh, you know, dropped some points against Bologna recently. But I think that Milan will see, uh, you know, the opportunity here, especially given that Napoli have, you uh, you know, a tougher game on paper than they do. Uh, and I I expect at least two of the top three uh, to be winning those games. But really, I think it's going to be all three, uh, you know, claiming maximum points this weekend.
1: So as is uh, in Serie A. And don't forget, midweek, uh, the second leg of Coppa Italia semi-finals, Inter against AC Milan on Tuesday. And obviously the following day, Juventus against Fiorentina. And it was nil-nil in the Milan derby and one nil on... Uh, Juventus uh, so should be one to watch out for Tuesday and Wednesday all right let's wrap everything up here Jonathan Johnson we moved on from Serie a, so just uh, let's go with some final thoughts everybody uh, a few notes from yours truly and then JJ you tell me what you want to discuss there's an intercontinental derby here in Turkey Fenerbahce against Galatasaray obviously historically a really good derby but uh, neither team is doing that well and and Bayern Uh, Munich, who lost to Villarreal, looking to amend things against Augsburg, uh, who are hitting survival forms right now. Three wins from last four, despite uh, one for you here, USMNT fans. Uh, Ricardo Pepi still waiting for his first goal. Uh, Any thoughts regarding uh, the rest of Europe or anything else you want to touch on, my friend?
3: Uh, yeah I mean looking at the the Bundesliga uh, as somebody who's got a bit of a soft spot in their heart for FC Köln uh I'm looking at that Carnival derby against Mainz uh, this weekend could be a, a, a big game for for both of them so that's definitely one I'll be keeping an eye on this and tasty fixtures as well uh over here in uh in in France coming up you've got the you've got the likes of Lens against Nice which I think will be great uh Strasbourg Lyon as well so you know, plenty to to look out for there. Remy Cabella as well resurfacing with Montpellier. That was uh, an interesting midweek move. You don't get too many of those uh, transfers uh, at this moment in time. So to see him return home, where he obviously won the league 1 title uh, with Montpellier that season, that they pipped PSG uh, in the very first campaign. Uh, of PSG being under Qatari ownership—that's one for the nostalgics. As I commented to uh, to our own Ian Joy uh, when he commented on my uh, my tweet about it the other day. So lots to to look forward to there, and uh, you know, just really excited about another fantastic weekend of football coming up.
1: Absolutely, and I can't leave without talking about El Tráfico as well this weekend in MLS. It should be a good one, don't you? Just love the name of that Darby, by the way. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's 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 awesome i mean I'm, i you know normally a lot of the rivalries you know sort of get like a bit of a i wouldn't say a mediocre name but Kind of a little dull, like Hudson River Derby, that kind of stuff. For them. Yeah, to have one that's whatever. actually called El Trafico is just perfect.
1: It's perfect. And by the way, it should be a good one because LAFC lead the Western Conference, by the way. They haven't lost a game yet. And LA Galaxy are in third as well. They've only lost twice. Both, uh, obviously, this is uh, one for the Mexican fans as Carlos Vela face Chicharito and you know, it should be a good one because right now, LFC 13 points, Real Salt Lake 11 and Galaxy on nine points. El Trafico, I believe that's Saturday night. It should be a fantastic matchup. Uh, and that's it. That's it for us here on Kego Lasso on our weekend preview. We want to thank, obviously, James Benj and Jonathan Johnson for sticking around. JJ, thank you so much, buddy. No, my
3: pleasure as always. Thanks for having me on.
1: Thank you so much for everybody. YouTube.com forward slash Que Lasso. Help us get to 11,000 subscribers. We got so much content coming your way, including Weekend Recap on Sunday night, another week of Champions League action as we find out who makes it to the semifinals and so much more. Jonathan Johnson, James Bench, LME, Que Lasso, have a great, great weekend and we will see you next time.